Welcome to the Redeemer Community Church Podcast. The following audio is from Redeemer Community Church, located in Johnson City, Tennessee. We hope it will be encouraging to you as you listen. Hey, how's it going, Redeemer? If you've got your Bibles, we're going to be in Daniel chapter 6 this morning. This is one of the most famous stories in the whole Bible, and it's the most famous story in the whole Bible book, right? Next week, we're going to talk about one of the most important chapters in all of the Bible. But before we get there, today's going to have this twist that I don't think anyone's going to see coming. So by the end of it, it's going to make this turn. You're going to go, what in the world just happened? And it's going to be incredible because it will show you how the gospel has the power to change our lives to be more like Daniel, to be more like his friends, right? Real quick recap from last week. Last week, Babylon was still ruling, right? They're the ruling power. It's a seemingly immovable kingdom. Meanwhile, as they're ruling on the outside of the city walls are the Persians and the Medes. They're ready to conquer this place. But the king is so confident that they're not going to be able to penetrate the walls. The king is so confident that they have enough food stored up to last them 20 plus years. He decides just to throw a party. He's like, we will just outweigh all of you, all right? God's hand shows up in the throne room and writes, you're actually going to die. He freaks out. And then what we see historically, if you line history um, up over this story, is that the Persians and the Medes, they couldn't get over the walls. So what they did is they took the Euphrates River that was running through the middle of town. They diverted it into a swampland and created a highway to go under the city walls. So they march in, conquer Babylon, and Babylon falls. Now, in chapter 6, about two years has passed. Daniel is now in his 80s. So if you read Daniel in the lion's den in a children's storybook Bible, Daniel probably looks like a teenager. But the truth is, is this dude is old. He's got gray hair. He's probably dragging an oxygen tank, using a walker. He's an old man at this point, right? And so he's he, two years has passed. He's in his 80s. And what's going on here is, is a new king is, is putting a new type of government in place. Let's just jump in, all right? Verse 1, chapter 6. It says, It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom and over them, three high officials of whom Daniel was one, to whom these satraps should give account so that the king might suffer no loss. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him and the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. All right, so Babylon was an absolute monarchy. Um, Darius the Mede brings into a, a new system, which is going to be a governmental hierarchy. So it's an it's a absolute monarchy. Now it's going to be a governmental hierarchy. There's 120 satraps that are, that are people that have authority to rule over the kingdom. And those guys had some checks and balances. They were accountable to officials above them, like commissioners. Daniel is basically the main commissioner. He's the chief justice, but he has this excellent spirit in him. That means that he was a hard worker, that he always had a good attitude. And because of who he was, because of his influence, the king had plans to basically make him the prime minister. Okay, so Daniel is is on a good path. In chapter 5, he was an afterthought of the kingdom of Babylon, but now he's back to the forefront. Okay, verse 4, it says, Then the high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom. But they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. Then these men said, We shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. 
right? So what's happened is these guys don't like Daniel. I'm sure of the 120 satraps, some of them had plans to make gain in unethical ways. And Daniel is this just upright dude. He's an obstacle. So they're thinking, we've got to get him out of office. We've got to get rid of this dude. So what they do is they start to, to comb over and just pour over all these scrolls, all of these documents he signed, all the advice and counsel he's given. They're looking at everything that his fingerprints might have been on, and they're trying to find some dirt on him, but they can't find a thing. So they're going, man, there's nothing in his public life. There's nothing in his private life. Our only hope is to attack him in his spiritual life, all right? So they, they begin to attack him in his spiritual life. Let's look at verse six through nine. Then these high officials and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to the king, O King Darius, live forever. All the high officials of the kingdom, take note of that word all, all the high officials of the kingdom, the prefects, the satraps, the counselors, and the governors are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or man for 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. All right, so they say a petition to any god except you. So they're elevating him to God status, right? They shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and injunction. All right, so here's their plan. It involves two things. It involves um, falsehood and it involves flattery. The falsehood is they say all, they're like, everyone's in agreement. All the guys, all the counselors, all the high officials, all the satraps, all the governors, like we're all in agreement that this should, this should happen. When they say all, that would have included Daniel. But there's no way Daniel is part of this group. There's no way that he would be like, we should make a law that will put me to death. That'd be really good, right? He's, he's not part of this group. So they're, they're only giving a half truth. So they're, they're, they're starting this plan with falsehood, but it also involves flattery. They say like, we don't think that anyone should worship a God except you. You should be God. Darius at this point hasn't thought of himself as a God. So they're saying, hey, for 30 days, let's just give it a test drive. I mean, don't you think you'd be good at this God thing for at least a little bit? So let's, let's give it a 30 day test drive, see how it goes. And so, and if anyone worships another God, that'll just cause disunity in the kingdom. And we want to be a unified front that'll make us better. So, so let's bring everyone together through putting people in a place where they worship you. And so the king's like, that does sound like a pretty good idea. And he doesn't think it through, okay? He doesn't think it through. And when he signs this into law, right, they see it like the word of God. For them, this is inerrant. This is infallible. This is something that can't be changed. And so they're treating a law of man as if it's the law of God, right? And so what happens is that law is going to be the death of one of his close friends or someone that he loves, someone that he knows is beneficial to his kingdom. Now there's a lesson here, okay? There's a lesson here. When you're making important decisions, make sure you get the whole story. Like don't only go to your preferred source of, of um, media like information. Don't just be like, well, this is my news outlet. I trust them. You sh you're probably, if you're only going to one source, you're probably getting half truths or selected truths. And if you want to make a good educated decision, you should diversify. You should make sure that you're getting the whole story. So search out news outlets that maybe aren't your favorite and see what they have to say too. Try to get the whole story, not just parts of the story. All right. It'll help you make a better decision because Darius was a pretty good guy, but he was given partial information and made a bad decision. We can learn from his mistakes, right? So he signs this 
law into place. And now we're, we're left thinking like, well, what's going to happen to Daniel? Okay. He signed this law into place. Look at verse 10. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in the upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Let me ask you two questions real quick. First, um, what would you have done if you were in Daniel's shoes? If it's like, hey, this is just 30 days, um, would you have been like, I'll, I'll take my prayer life private for 30 days. That'll, that'll save a lot, of, a lot of pain, a lot of frustration. Or would you have been like, I can just kind of pull back my public faithfulness for a little bit. Like, what would you have done if you're in his shoes? Um, and second, here's a question that maybe you don't want to answer, but would your prayer life or would your devotion to God get you in trouble under these circumstances? Like, are you living in such a way that it, like, would, your, would your devotion to God even get you in trouble in the first place? All right, because Daniel's would. Daniel's prayer life would. So here's what happens. He could have closed the windows. He could have prayed privately. And the truth is, is that God still would have heard him. Like God still would have heard him. But he's being watched. He knows he's being watched. And he knows that what he does is going to make a very loud statement. It's, it's going to preach loudly about his faith. That either one, that, hey, his faith is strong and unshakable no matter what. Or it'll, it'll preach a loud message that his faith is weak and it's just for show only when things are convenient. So what does he do? He gets down on his knees and prays openly three times a day just as he's done for nearly 80, 80 years. So he gets down and prays. Now, let me, let me give a couple thoughts on prayer because I think Daniel's prayer life, we have seen it as a central theme of the book of Daniel up to this point. It was powerful. So let me just give you a couple things that we can learn from Daniel's prayer life. One, it's good to have a place designated for meeting with God. Can you pray anywhere at any time? Absolutely, right? You can be driving down the road and you can pray. You can be walking, you can be praying. Like you can have a place, right? But I, I think that it's good to have a place, whether that's a, a special chair, whether that's by your bedside, whether that's a, a closet that you can actually get into um, that's not filled with coats and, and boots and stuff, right? If you have a closet, but have a place where you're like, hey, this is where I go and I need to meet with God. A place that you can, like he got down on his knees, a place that you can get into a position where you can get away from distractions. So have a place that allows you to get in a position that you are away from distractions so you can focus on what you're doing. So it's good to have a place. Next, um, make prayer a daily habit. This guy prayed three times a day, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, right? It, it's not just something you do based on feelings or circumstances. A lot of times we pray when stuff goes wrong. Like we should pray no matter what, it should be a daily habit. That doesn't mean you have to have these long, intense, like 30 minute hour long prayer sessions three times a day. But if anyone had an excuse to say like, I don't have enough time to pray, it was Daniel. This guy's like one of the highest people in government, um, but he found time to pray three times a day. So make prayer a daily habit. And then we see that he, he prayed, but he also gave thanks. So the third thing is realize that prayer isn't just for needs. Don't just come to God for the things that you would like for him to do. Come to God to give thanks for all the things he's done. So, so meet with God, not just to ask for things, but meet with God to just give him thanks. You see, the goal of prayer, it's not just to, to, to check a box off your list. It's to grow in a rich relationship with God. 
And here's what we see in Daniel's life. It's only through a sustained and intimate relationship with God that you're able to walk into and through spiritual battles. Okay, that, that, the prayer, it's about, it's about growing in a deep, rich relationship with God. And it's only through a sustained and intimate relationship with God that you're able to walk into and through spiritual battles. Here's something you need to know. You'll always, you'll always be stronger coming up off your knees from praying than you were when you first got down on your knees to pray. You'll always be stronger coming up off your knees from praying than you were when you first got down on your knees to pray because a life lived before God's throne is a life lived through God's power. Okay, a life lived before God's throne is a life lived through God's power. You'll always be stronger when you get up from a time of prayer. Okay, so in verses 11 through 15, what happens is these, these satraps, these high officials, their plan works. They see Daniel play, praying. They gleefully run to the king and rat him out. The king hears this and he realizes like there's nothing I can do to save him. He's trying to figure out is there some way we can change the law, but these guys are like dumb and dumber. You can't triple stamp a double stamp. You can't triple stamp a double stamp. They just keep reminding the king, you can't change your law. You can't change your law. And so the king realizes there's nothing he can do. And he's like, Daniel, I hope your God can save you. All right, let's pick up at verse 16. The king commanded... And Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions, right? Remember, he's not a teenager here. It, it probably took him a while with his walker to get up to this den, right? And the king declared to Daniel, may your God, whom you serve, continually deliver you. He's probably heard about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He's like, man, I hope your God does the same here. And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his lords, that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him and sleep fled from him. Okay. Then at break of day, the king arose and went in haste to the den of lions. As he came near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish. The king declared to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has, has your God whom you serve continually been able to deliver you from the lions? He's, he's like reaching, he's like, Daniel, are you in there? Like, can I get a hello? All right, and then Daniel said to the king. So Daniel responds, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouths, and they have not harmed me because I was found blameless before him and also before you. O king, I have done no harm. Like, I, I love this. This is incredible. Have you ever woke up? Um, like, have you been sleeping, just passed out, and you wake up because your phone's ringing, and you're like, Ugh, and you wake up and you answer it, and you try to collect yourself, and when you answer the phone, you think you sound so awake. You're like, hello? That's how you think you sound, but the person on the other line goes, did I wake you? Like, were you sleeping? And, and obviously, what you said that you thought sounded so awake didn't fool them because you were passed out. I imagine that's how Daniel's voice was. You know, he's like, Daniel, you in there? And he's like, Hello? Okay. He thinks he sounds wide awake, but while the king couldn't sleep all night, he's pacing around. 
Daniel is fast asleep with a lion as a pillow and a lion as a blanket. These are two totally different nights, right? Daniel is in the comfort of God, right? Now, what happens is in verses 23 through 24, okay? Oh, man, like... Let me just tell you this real quick. Um, I love Charles Spurgeon, who's this famous preacher from back in the day from London. He said it's a good thing the lions didn't eat Daniel because they wouldn't have enjoyed it. That dude was half grit and the other half backbone. I love that line about Daniel. Half grit, the other half backbone. Okay. In verses 23 through 24, the king is ecstatic that Daniel's alive. I mean, he's, he's pumped. He's checking Daniel out. He's like, is there any scratch on you? You good? You good? You sure you're good? Can I get you anything? And then he has the, the plotters, these guys that, that flattered him and told a false story. He has those guys and their families thrown into the lion's den. And apparently the lions weren't choosing not to eat Daniel because they were full because these dudes ate, uh, these lions ate their, their food um, with that second group of people. Now, let's look at verses 25 through 27 as we, as we close up. All right. It says here, Then King Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, Peace be multiplied to you. He says, I make a decree that in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed, and his dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. So this Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Okay, so we see at the very end here, and this this is kind of the main point of the sermon, is that God uses Daniel's life and influence to show others how there's only one true God who's eternal and all-powerful, right? God uses Daniel's life and his influence to show others how there's only one true God who's eternal and all-powerful. So so the one thing for you to understand today is this. God wants to use your life, okay? Listen to me. God wants to use your life to pull others towards him, right? He used Daniel's life and his influence to pull people towards him, and he wants to use your life in the same way. God wants to use your life to pull others towards him. All right, so, so what can we learn from Daniel? How can we, like, what does our life need to look like to be used by God to pull others towards him? Well, well one is Daniel's faith was public, which means that our faith isn't a private thing. We're not supposed to just be like, well, I, I do my church thing on Sunday, but no one at work knows about that. No one in the neighborhood knows about that. It's like, no, no, God doesn't want us to have just a private faith. He wants us to have a public faith. God doesn't want Christians to create these little Christian ghettos or these little Christian bubbles where we hide from the world. He wants us to be in the world and to engage the world with his love. All right, so so don't hide from the world, be in the world, okay? So one, like we need public faith. And second, and I think this is important to know, is that Daniel's influence went beyond his spiritual life, which means your influence for God is going to go beyond your faith stuff. It's not just about like what music do you listen to and how do you talk about Jesus. There's another way that God impacts the way that you live that preaches loud as well, right? So one is is that um, Daniel worked hard, which means like we should be people who work hard. He did his job with excellence, which means that whether you're in school, do your best to make good grades. Whether you're working, do your best to do your job, not just to get it done, but to do it where, man, it's done well. We see that that he was trustworthy, 
that he's the type of guy that when he said, I'm going to do something, people knew it would get done. They didn't have to follow up. Like, did you send the email? Did you send it? Right? Like be a trustworthy person. Be someone that when you say you're going to get something done, people are like, Hey, that's, that's good as gospel. I know it's going to happen. Um, he had a good attitude. He wasn't behind um, his boss's back saying like to the boss, like, Hey, I love working for you. You're great. Then behind his back talking trash. Like, no, he had a good attitude. People saw that. And then also Daniel made others around him better. So be the type of person that when you're on a team, you elevate others around you. Be the type of person that makes other people better, that makes other people their better selves. Okay? Now, let me, let me ask you this. Do some evaluation here. How is your life pulling people towards God? All right, so if Daniel's life, if, if it was done in such a way where his public faith, where his work ethic, where his attitude, where his trustworthiness, where, where, where his life pulled others towards God, how is your life being attractive and pulling people towards God? I mean, Jesus says you're the light of the world. Light attracts things. So how are you being attractive in your lifestyle in such a way that it's, it's pulling people towards God's love? Is your faith attractive? Is your work ethic attractive? Are your words attractive? Is your attitude attractive? You see, Daniel and his three friends, they are an incredible example for us to, to strive towards, right? When it comes to, to, to their faith, to their work ethic, to their attitudes, right? They are an incredible example for us to strive towards. But how can we become like them? Because I mean, like, how often are we like, I'm going to try to be more like this. And then we just kind of go back to old habits, right? How can we change to be more like Daniel, right? Because I can call you to be like Daniel, but if, you're, but if you're like, I'm trying, it's not working. How do we make that change happen? And this is where the twist comes in. I told you, the, the back half right here, this is the last thing I'm going to say. This twist, uh, if you saw it coming, you get an A+. Plus. You get bonus points, all right? Because I don't, I don't think you're going to see this coming. Here's an amazing twist, okay? Here's what you need to know. Change. We talk about like changing our attitude, changing our work ethic, changing our public faith, changing who we are to be attractive and bringing other people to God, right? Change happens not by the strength of our willpower. Hear me. Change happens not by the strength of your willpower, but by the power of God's grace. Change happens not by the strength of our willpower, but by the strength of God's grace. And to know the power of God's grace, you have to read yourself rightly into the story of Daniel. Okay? This is the twist. I want you to read yourself into the story differently than you've probably ever read yourself into the story. And if you will read yourself into the story rightly, you will understand God's grace in a more powerful way. And if you understand God's grace in a more powerful way, it'll have more power to change your life to be more like Jesus. And when you're more like Jesus, you'll be more attractive to others, pulling them towards knowing God's love. All right. So how do you read yourself into the story? How should you properly and rightly read yourself into the story? Well, let me tell you this. The, the, the preacher in me wants to say, you're Daniel and the world's the lion's den. That's the preacher in me. That's what I want to say, right? But, but that can inspire you and it might move you for a week or two, but it's going to fall short, 
right? So I don't want you to read yourself into the story as Daniel. I don't want to read yourself into the story as the world is the lion's den. I don't want you to read yourself into the story of saying, what lion is attacking you and how does God need to shut its mouth? I don't want to do that because that could be a powerful sermon, but I want to give you a more powerful sermon, okay? Don't see yourself as Daniel. See yourself as the satraps and the high officials. When you read yourself into the story, stop reading yourself into the story as Daniel. Read yourself into the story as the satraps and the high officials. You see, the satraps in the story, these guys are against God. These are the guys who are against God. All right? And, and so Darius, his word could not be changed. God's word cannot be changed. And according to God's word, we are all sinners and we all fall short of glory of God. The penalty or the wage of that sin is death. Because of our sin, we are his enemies. Because of our sin, we are hostile towards him. Because of our sin, we have committed high treason and we deserve death. We deserve to be eternally separated from God's grace and love and to be in the eternal presence of his justice and wrath. That is bad news, but that's who we are. We are, without Christ, the satraps and the high officials. We are those who are against God. That's bad news. The good news is, is in the same way that we saw Darius love Daniel, and he sought tirelessly to find a way to save him but couldn't, God loves us, and he has a way to save us through Jesus. Okay, now the satraps, their actions led Daniel into the lion's den. Our actions, our sin, led Jesus to the cross. Where Daniel was spared the teeth of the lion, Jesus, on our behalf, suffered their wounds, right? Where Daniel was laid into a tomb with a stone rolled over or a pit and left for good as dead, Jesus was placed into a grave because he truly was dead. And just as Daniel got up and walked out without a bone being broken, Jesus stood up conquering death and walked out of the grave victorious. You see, Jesus, Jesus is the greater Daniel. And when we begin to grow in our understanding of God's grace, of, of who God is and his love, of who we were in our sin, and what Jesus has done to bridge that gap and to make a way for us to be saved, when we understand the depths of that in our hearts, when it moves from our head to our hearts, it begins to change us from the inside out to be more like Jesus. So today, I want you to know Jesus. I want you to know that Jesus is the greater Daniel. You see, Daniel and Jesus, they both had jealous political leaders create false charges against them so that they could be arrested and killed. They both had higher leaders, higher leaders than those who charged them, declare their innocence where they sought to rescue them. They were both thrown into a pit and left for dead. Both had loving friends show up to their tombs in the early morning. And both Daniel and Jesus walked out of their graves to assume a second-in-command position in their respective kingdoms, right? But where Daniel eventually died, 
Jesus continues to live because he has defeated death. You see, Jesus saves. Jesus stops the mouths of lions. He's bigger than politics. He's bigger than government leaders. He's bigger than laws. He can conquer death. He can raise the dead. He is a king and he is coming again to establish his everlasting kingdom where he will gather his children for our eternal home. That is something we do not deserve, but it is something we are freely given because of Jesus and the cross, because of Christ and Christ alone. Let that good news penetrate your heart in such a way that it changes your life to be more like Jesus. God, we are thankful for your word. And as we've wrapped up Daniel's life, but not the book of Daniel, let us see the example he has set for us and let us experience your grace in such a way that we can change to be like him. But not just to be like him, that we can change to be like the greater Daniel, that we can change to be like Jesus. So that our lives lived in the world can be used by you to pull others to yourself. That they can be used by you to attract others to know your grace and to know your love. God, use us to bring salvation to our world. It's in your holy name we pray. Amen. Well, we want to respond through communion. Um, if, if you're at home, feel free to, to grab some bread, grab some juice, and, and here in a second, you'll have some space to do that. And here's what I want you to do. As you hold those elements, as you hold the, the bread, as you hold the juice or the wine, I want you to do three things. I want you to take time to confess. I want you to take time to believe. And I want you to take time to ask. You see, confess. Confess areas of your life that aren't Christ-like and attracting others to know God's love. Confess those areas that you're like, this just isn't like Christ. This isn't being attractive and bringing people to know God. And after you confess, believe. Believe the truth of 1 Peter 2.24, which says, He himself, talking about Jesus, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. Believe that the sin that you have confessed has been forgiven because of Christ. And then ask. Ask God to change your heart by knowing the depth of his love and grace that the bread and juice remind you of. That Jesus lived the life you couldn't live, died the death that you deserve, and rose victoriously from the grave to offer you new and eternal life. Hey, next week, Daniel 7, one of the most important chapters in the Bible. Can't wait to get into that, but now let's take time to respond as God leads you. Thank you so much for listening to this audio from Redeemer Community Church in Johnson City, Tennessee. You can connect with us and find out more information at RedeemerCommunity.com.